Okay, uh, welcome back, folks, to the Start Calorton podcast. I hope you can hear me. I'm I, Travis is is very busy today. Um, we usually record on either Wednesday or Friday, but he I had a sick kid Wednesday, and now he's busy Friday, so we're we couldn't quite make it work out for both of us to get into the studio uh together so he was like well why don't you just solo it like i did a couple months ago um and that's terrifying because i don't understand how to do any of the technology things and i'm hoping he can make it work but i i am gonna try today because we really wanted to get an episode in this week we really want to stay on pace um and the subject of today's episode as we work through the quarterbacks uh in this draft is a guy who you know i I personally, and, and I will believe this until draft day, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I don't believe that this man is actually going top two in the NFL draft. I don't, I'm not sure I believe that he's going top four for sure, or, or at least top three in the NFL draft. I don't believe that. I think it's a smokescreen. I think it's part of a campaign by people who are trying to knock the value of Drake May down so that they might have a shot at trading up for him. Uh, kind of like we heard so many nice things about Will Levis and, and Hendon Hooker and all that last year. And while everybody hated C.J. Stroud, nobody wanted C.J. Stroud. And then you found out after the draft, after C.J. Stroud went number two overall, like everyone expected him uh, to in the first place. You know, we had so many teams leak. oh, C.J. Stroud was the number one QB on our board. So we're talking about Jaden Daniels because, however, there are, I have seen the occasional Jaden Daniels QB1 take. I have seen the occasional, I've seen a lot of Jaden Daniels QB2 takes. I think, honestly, if you ask most people just publicly, based on rumors, they they would bet that Jaden Daniels is more likely to go to than Drake May right now. And again, I still don't buy it. Not for a second. But because he's a possibility to go that high, um... We had to talk about Jaden Daniels. And so the first thing I want to address with Jaden Daniels is, oh man, I have been tweeting, I've been tweeting the stuff that I have been finding in my research into all of these guys. I have not singled out Jaden Daniels, um, but I've been tweeting about all these guys and he has some concerning numbers in a lot of ways that that I'll go over here in a little bit. But like, I did not go into this year (laughs) with an agenda to dislike Jaden Daniels. I am not sharing statistics about Jaden Daniels because I personally hate him at all. Just like a couple years ago, I didn't hate, personally hate Kenny Pickett. I don't know Kenny Pickett, you know? Um, but I share what I find through the course of my research and my pre-draft research on these guys. And, and it it always gets me, it always makes me laugh when people get so angry just at numbers. Like, I can't help it that Kenny Pickett has these numbers. I can't help it that Jaden Daniels has these numbers. I'm not saying anything about them other than that, like, here's what the data says, and I think the company that they are in is concerning to me. And I, I, I've i said this before, I come, the spreadsheet, everything I do in the spreadsheet comes from the fact that like I, I'm my background, my educational background is in history. I, I'm, I'm a historian by trade. I'm a researcher by trade. Um, and and the thing that I don't like about the NFL draft is that so often it every guy is is evaluated uh, 
in a vacuum, and every guy is evacuated without or is evaluated without the context of history. Um, you have a lot of guys who believe, for whatever reason, they've cracked the code to watching tape, um, and whatever they see on tape is the truth, and, and, and the things that people bring up as question counterpoints. Whatever, if it's something that they don't that that's maybe concerning about a guy they like, it's coachable, etc., etc., etc. And and I have found that that method of approaching the draft, which I think is the popular method, which I think is the way that you know, the the results speak for themselves. I mean, they're they're you hear oh, drafting a quarterback is a total crapshoot. Nobody knows what to look for in quarterbacks, etc., etc. And I don't know that that is actually true. I think if you go back and you look at a lot of the biggest busts you are thinking of, um, I think the red flags were there for most of those guys and, and they were ignored or not even ignored. They People weren't even aware that they were there because they didn't really look at the kind of data that matters. And so the whole point of the spreadsheet, I'm constantly getting every chunk of data that I can on every guy um, and I'm putting it all in there and I'm tracking years of it because I want to see like if a guy's bad at X does that matter or is that something that can get better in the NFL what is the history of guys who did X and there are some things that I found that really don't matter like Mitch Trubisky wasn't a very successful deep passer in college if you go by his deep passing completion percentage. He just wasn't. And, and then that ended up still being a problem for him in the NFL. He was never a good NFL deep passer. So when I started looking into deep passing statistics for all these guys, uh, I thought there'd be a really strong correlation. Like, oh, nobody who, you know, guys who throw deep in the NFL must have been good at it in college must have a good results, but honestly, you can find, like, Josh Allen did not have a very high completion percentage on deep passes in the NFL, and he didn't for his first couple, or in, in college, and he didn't for his first couple years in the NFL, and then he shook it off. Um, he got better at it. Uh, Jordan Love got better at it. Um, so, what I found is there there's not that much of a correlation there. It's not... Now, granted, most good deep passers in the NFL were also good deep passers in college, but that's not really what I look for. I look for if a guy is bad at something, because we talked about this last year when I first introduced the spreadsheet. We talked about negative correlation. Good college stats don't always mean anything because they can come from a variety of places, uh, and they can there can be a, a numerous explanations for them. And I think I'm going to go into why I think some of Jaden Daniels' good stats are. I, I am skeptical. Um, so what I look at is a guy's weaknesses. And then I look at other guys who shared those weaknesses. And I look at what that meant in the NFL for them. And what I've found is that for the most part, certain weaknesses are a lot more stable and a lot more translatable than others. There are certain things where if you are bad at this in college, you're probably going to stay bad at it in the NFL. And if that's so, then it's a major red flag for me. And then the question becomes not wish casting it away and saying, oh, he can fix that. Because that's that's the NFL scout response. There's, there's this immaculate belief in the power of coaching. You can fix a guy. You can, you can, you can change him. Uh, I can coach him up. I can clean that up, et cetera, et cetera. There's always that belief. 
I throw a lot of skepticism on that because that was what led to Kyle Bowler. That was what led to Jake Locker, et cetera. Um, so I look at what is the history of this weakness and how stable is it? And if it is a stable weakness, if it's something that's likely going to plague him his entire career, how does he compensate for that? What is his superpower? Because I'll talk about Lamar Jackson in a little bit here because he's gonna he gets a lot of comps to Jaden Daniels um, right now. And I think that's insane. But like in one area in which, for example... Jaden Daniels and Lamar are similar. Uh, we'll just say pressure to sack rate, which is when we brought up a lot. It's like the most stable thing. If a guy really struggles with turning pressures into sacks in college, he's going to struggle with that in the NFL. There's basically no example of a guy who had that as a significant problem in college and got better at it in the NFL. It just is what it is. Might be the first, if you, you can bet on a guy being the first dude in history to do it, that's fine. I wouldn't do that. Um, but. Th- it just is what it is. It's a, it's a real problem. It's a red flag. It's not not a red flag no matter what you do. So Lamar Jackson is a guy who did have a high pressure to sack rate. It was over 20% in college. And the thing is, in the NFL, it's still been about 20%. Lamar Jackson has an above average pressure to sack rate. He has an above average sack rate overall. Taking sacks is still a weakness for Lamar Jackson. He makes up for it. Just like Russell Wilson made up for it by being an incredibly good deep passer, by being an efficient passer over the middle of the field. That, that's Lamar. Russell Wilson has never been an efficient passer over the middle of the field, but Lamar certainly has. He makes up for it, obviously, with his incredible mobility. So it's not that this isn't a red flag because, well, Lamar Jackson had this same red flag, so it must not mean that much. It's It does mean that this guy is going to struggle with sacks. So if he's going to make up for he's that's something that he's going to have to make up for. And I have to believe that this guy, if he has Lamar's weaknesses, also has Lamar's superpowers. So that's why I do all this. It's got nothing to do with Jaden Daniels. I don't personally dislike him. I don't know anything about him. I'm sure he's a great kid. I'm very uncomfortable talking about a guy's personality. I don't know these people. I don't do anything. I think it's what people are doing right now to Caleb Williams and psychoanalyzing every answer the kid gives an oppressor is ridiculous. If I'm honest with you, a couple years ago, did I think Zach Wilson looked like a jag? Yeah, I really did. But that was never part of my evaluation of him. Um, I thought the more problematic one was that he wasn't very comfortable within structure. Um, he didn't really make reads. So I focused on that. I, I did not focus on his personality or anything like that. So I don't hate Jer- Jaden Daniels. I have no agenda against him. I have no agenda against LSU. Joe Burrow was a prospect I really liked a lot. And I'll talk about why Jaden Daniels isn't Joe Burrow here in a bit either. Because um, those are the two names that you just keep hearing thrown out with Jaden Daniels constantly. It's Lamar Jackson. It's Joe Burrow. And I don't think either is accurate. So... But yeah, and, and last but not least, I have a lot of people that think somehow that it is unfair to Jaden that I that I use career statistics instead of using his final year statistics. But the fact of the matter is the reason that I do career statistics, and it's not cherry picking and it's not teasing Jaden Daniels, because I do it for everybody, every single player in the spreadsheet. There's 115 freaking guys in here that I have data for. Every one of them I'm using their entire career if I can find it. Now, I did recently add one season of Russell Wilson to the spreadsheet. I added one season of Teddy Bridgewater to the spreadsheet. Um, I added one season of uh, Andrew Luck and RG3 to the spreadsheet because for whatever reason, Pro Football Focus has one season of data for all of those guys, even though they didn't start doing full season data for everybody until the 2014 college season. 
It, I was like, well, it's better to have that data than not have it. So I put them in the spreadsheet. They are asterisked so that I can always say that's one year of data versus career. Um, but otherwise, I use career stats for everybody. So it's not singling out Jaden Daniels. It's not my fault that his career numbers are underwhelming. His career is what it is. But the reason I do that is because I have found that career data is a lot more predictive than just picking a guy's best season or a guy's last season. Because that argument is what led to Zach Wilson. It's what led to Kenny Pickett. It is what led to Paxton Lynch. It is what led to Kyle Bowler. It is what led to Akili Smith. There are all kinds of these guys who were largely underwhelming college quarterbacks for two, three, four years in Jaden Daniels' case. Four years in Kenny Pickett's case, who then just broke out, had this massive breakout season. And most of them have been bad in the NFL. Because if a guy needs a perfect environment in college, if it took years of experience learning the scheme, years of the best supporting cast he's ever had, if it took all of those things to synthesize for him to put it all together on the collegiate level, things don't all synthesize like that in the NFL. Especially if you're going top 10, you're going to a bad team, probably. You're going to a bad offensive line, probably. You're probably not going to a team that has two wide receivers who win almost all of their matchups outside. You're going somewhere where you are the offense, where you're carrying the offense. And if things aren't perfect and they're not going to be, how do you operate when things aren't perfect? And most of these guys didn't operate well when things weren't perfect in college. They needed things to be perfect. So no, I don't have any agenda against Jaden Daniels or anything like that. This is literally just, uh, I watched him. I had a few questions just from watching him and then I dug into the data behind all those questions and every answer that I got was not an answer that made me feel comfortable taking this guy in the top five. But it's there's no agenda here. The numbers are what they are. If you have a problem with me sharing them, I don't know what to tell you. Um, so yeah, the first thing I want to say about Jaden Daniels as far as, as a prospect is I want to just stop the Lamar Jackson comp immediately. Because the, the first thing is is that I don't think people understand When it comes to mobile quarterbacks, when it comes to running quarterbacks in history, there is Lamar Jackson, and then there is a massive chasm, and then there's literally everyone else. Uh, So I use Pro Football Focus stats for all of this, but I especially like Pro Football Focus for college rushing data because the NCAA still does that archaic thing where they subtract a guy's sack yardage from his rushing total. It really muddies up the rushing totals for guys, um, and I hate it. So... I use rushing for this, and again, I use it for everybody, so I'm not singling out Jaden Daniels. Uh, Lamar Jackson in college averaged 126 yards per game on the ground. He averaged 8.6 yards per carry on the ground, which is just simply insane to think about. That is obviously by far number one of all the quarterbacks that I have in the spreadsheet, all 115 of them. Um, Jaden Daniels averaged 71.9, basically 72 yards per game on the ground and 7.5 yards per carry. Now I'm going to tell I'm not going to tell you those are bad numbers. Those are good rushing numbers. He is I believe number number 5, maybe number 6 in the spreadsheet overall in terms of rushing yards per game, rushing yards per attempt. So he's a good running quarterback. Um but I just want to stress that the difference between him and Lamar is still so drastic that the gap in rushing yards per game between Jaden Daniels and Lamar so like number one to number four, number five, whatever it is, uh, 
literally bigger than the gap between Jaden Daniels and David Blah or David Blah from Purdue a couple years ago. Um, that's that. That's how big the difference. That fifth over fifty gate yards per game separate Lamar and Daniels. We've seen guys basically in the same neighborhood as Daniels, like Josh Dobbs, uh, Malik Willis actually put up more yards per game on the ground in college. Trey Lance basically the exact very similar rushing numbers um, to Daniels in college, and none of those guys they're they're useful. They have great mobility. It's it is a factor when facing them, but they are not the kind of game changing just dynamic run threats that Lamar Jackson is. You do not have to play these guys the way that you play Lamar Jackson. We saw that with Justin Fields. He was an incredible rushing threat last year, a lot of breakaway run production and stuff. But this year, when he didn't hit as many home runs, um, when that regressed, and when defenses were really prepared for the kind of design QB runs the Bears like to do, uh, we saw Justin Fields' rushing production basically cut in half. Like it, he, it's hard to consistently affect the game and affect defenses on the ground like that as a quarterback, unless you are Lamar Jackson. Uh, and so many guys are just not Lamar Jackson. Uh, and the other way in which I really feel like just beyond like the rushing numbers for or for Jaden Daniels in terms of like production why I think he is not Lamar. It's very much a stylistic thing in terms of how he runs. Um, Lamar Jackson is, he's a home run hitter. He he has managed to stay so durable. Uh, although I do think it's worth noting when comparing that to Lamar, even Lamar has missed a few games most years. He he has, the reason part of the reason his contract situation was so acrimonious last year uh, was that he did, you know, there were some durability questions. And he has stayed healthy better than other guys who, you know, did, were designed QB run threats. Trey Lance got injured immediately in his first real year as a starter. We've seen Justin Fields miss time every single year. We have seen even Jalen Hurts, who is, as one guy said about Twitter, built like Ganondorf. Um, We've seen him miss some time basically every year. He usually misses a start or two. And and last year, um, even when he was playing, I thought he lacked the burst that he'd showed the year before. He was clearly battling a nagging injury, and that really ground the Eagles' offense to a halt in the second half because they had built that offense around the threat of him as a runner. Um, but, you know, Lamar is a home run hitter. He, he breaks off big, elusive runs. He doesn't let guys get hits on him. Uh, and that's reflected in, in the numbers. Lamar Jackson... When he was in college, he averaged 3.9 yards per carry after contact. Most of the, so, and, and I said he gained 8.6 yards overall. So most of the yards that he gained were before contact. Uh, and he also had what a breakaway run percentage of 42.3%. Now, in PFF, what that means is the percentage of his running carries that ended with at least 15 and at least a 15 yard run was over 40%, which is just insane. We don't appreciate Lamar Jackson enough to begin with. We are witnessing history in this guy. Never lose sight of that. But 42%, that's incredible. And and so that tells you Lamar Jackson, again, he was running away from guys. He was not getting hit by guys. Um, Jaden Daniels, I think if you've watched him at all, you know the guy takes some just fucking Looney Tunes hit. Nate Tice of The Athletic compared him, said he's got some Johnny Knoxville in his game. It looks very much like a guy just getting ragdolled by a by a bull um, sometimes. And Daniels, 
that's backed up a little bit by the numbers. He averaged over 4.05 yards after contact in college. Uh, you know, so a lot more than Lamar. And that sounds good. It's great that a guy fights for the tough yards. But when you think about it, that means he's taking hits. He's getting those yards after contact because he's been contacted more often than Lamar. And his breakaway run percentage, you know, which I said was 42% for Lamar, was just 17.7% for Jaden Daniels. So he's not breaking off those home runs as frequently as Lamar did. He's taking hits. Uh, Jalen Hurts, another guy who's probably been the most successful running quarterback of the last couple of years other than of other than Lamar. Jalen Hurts, 2.9 yards after contact. So even less than Lamar. He was not fighting through contact. He was mostly avoiding contact. And yet he had a breakaway run percentage of 30%. So the guys that we've seen that have been sustainable NFL rushing threats are dudes who are, first of all, built better than Daniels, who's extremely skinny, but like, you know, Lamar's shorter, but he's very dense. Got a good frame, got a good build. Jalen Hurts built like a brick shit house. Josh Allen, a guy that we have seen be able to sustain success as an NFL runner because he's very big. He, he's very durable. Um, so you either need to be big and able to absorb hits or you need to be able to just avoid the hits altogether like Lamar does. And Daniels, he's kind of in between. He's neither. So the style that he is as a runner is not like Lamar to me, and, and it's very concerning to me. And then when you move beyond the differences between them as runners, they're very different profiles as passers. Um, Lamar, so, you know, everyone, Lamar coming out, the big question was his accuracy. People really focused on his completion percentage. But that was kind of a mirage. The reason that Lamar Jackson looked so inaccurate in college is that he's one of the most aggressive passers that we have ever seen. He had an an A dot, which I don't remember the last time I explained A dot on here, but that's literally just basically how far, uh, it's average depth of target, how far on average the ball travels in the air when a guy throws it, uh, of 11.9 yards. So his average pass was traveling almost 12 yards exactly in the air. That is the fourth highest of anybody in the spreadsheet. That's, that's a lot. And so when you consider that he was throwing it downfield that often, that aggressively, throwing it past the sticks, not taking easy completions underneath, the low completion percentage makes a lot more sense. It was the same thing with Josh Allen. Josh Allen was almost 13 yards of a dot in college. So his inaccuracy made a little bit more sense when you realize he was just attempting more difficult throws more often. And those guys needed to work more on what I, you know, I kind of call it pitch selection, like determining the right throw for the moment rather than, you know, just working on mechanics or something like that. It was more that they needed to learn to just accept the check down, to take the throw underneath. Jaden Daniels is a very conservative passer, though. He His dot is only 9.1 yards career, um, and that's 76th. That's below average out of everybody in there. Um, so he's not an aggressive deep passer like Lamar is, and that's been a big part of Lamar's career in the NFL, too, is, it, you know, he's not always the best quick game operator. He he does scramble around sometimes. He takes too many sacks sometimes, but he always makes up for that with big chunk plays. And another area where where Lamar gets big chunk plays is that he throws over the middle of the field and that we it's been proven statistically time and time again in the NFL that the most efficient passers in the NFL are the guys willing to attack over the middle of the field because that's where you can get those big all those 
sexy routes that make the Kyle Shanahan offense work, those deep digs, those crossers, et cetera, all those go over the middle of the field. They are to take advantage of the space there, but you have to be willing to throw with anticipation. You have to be willing to, to trust that you can wade through all that traffic there, that you're not going to get picked off. Um, and Lamar's never been afraid to do that. In college, he attacked the middle of the intermediate or deep middle of the field. So this is passes beyond 10 yards over the middle of the field. Passes under 10 yards, usually not too many difference between guys in that in college. Most guys are willing to throw a hitch directly in front of their face. It's more those those 15, 20, 25, 30 yard throws between the hashes that some guys really struggle with. Lamar did not. Um, on his if you if you exclude screens Lamar Jackson attacked the intermediate or deep middle of the field 24.5% of the time in college. That is the 11th highest of any first or second round QB plus the guys in this year's class. Daniels doesn't attack the middle of the field. He avoids it a lot. That number for him was just 18% um, of the time, 18% of his throws. Uh, And that is the only guys that that is better than that went in the first and second round or might go in the first and second round this year. Um, Bo Nix, Daniel Jones, Dwayne Haskins, uh, Justin Fields, Marcus Mariota. These are all guys who, you know, it. this is not something that guys have historically shown they really change their stripes much on in the NFL. If this is an area where you're uncomfortable dealing in college, and in college there's less traffic there, and in college it's it's the space is less condensed, the defenders aren't as good. The linebackers aren't as good. Um, if you're scared to throw it over the middle of the field in college, very few guys change their stripes and decide to become more aggressive over that part of the middle of the field in the NFL where the where the windows are smaller, where the decisions have to be made quicker. Um, so this is a group of guys that those names aren't very good, and it's guys that, you know, specifically one of the reasons they're not very good is that they have never learned to take advantage of the middle of the field to attack that part of the field um and that's where a lot of schemes today operate that's where a lot of success can be found so that's that's the end there for me of the j of the Jaden daniels lamar hurts comparison other than the fact that both of them have you know kind of high pressure sack rates and yes both of them are good uh runners overall but Lamar is obviously significantly better I don't see that comp at all not to mention arm in terms of just arm talent Lamar has a top five NFL arm probably Jaden Daniels I don't know that he would crack top 20 right now it's it, it's not a I don't think it's a bad arm per se but it is thoroughly an NFL average arm I don't know that I look at that guy and I see a significantly stronger arm than Jared Goff for example um so yeah, I think that's the end of the of the Lamar comparison for me. The next thing I want to move on to, just beyond comps, but a reason that I'm very concerned about Jaden Daniels. Uh, once again, I'm returning to the pressure to sack rate. And again, we have hit this so many times. It is the most stable stat. There is basically nobody that we have seen who struggled taking sacks in college who stopped taking sacks in the NFL. Um Daniel's career pressure to sack rate is 24.5%. So literally, basically, if you round up, one out of every four times that that guy takes pressure, he turns it into a sack. That is the seventh worst out of the 114 guys that I have in the spreadsheet. Um, And every single guy, I looked at it, every single guy 
that had a pressure to sack rate above 20% in college, if they've even played, a lot of these guys never saw the field, and I'm sure that was a big part of it, but if they have, that was drafted um, and then actually played in the NFL, all of them that have played have taken an above average amount of sacks. They have taken a higher than normal, they have below average uh, sack percentages. It's not good. They, they take too many sacks. Um, so it's, it's as close to a guarantee as you can get in this business of projecting that Jaden Daniels is never going to be a guy, especially early in his career, who doesn't take a lot of sacks. He will take too many sacks. It will be a problem. It's something he's going to have to compensate for. Uh, and part of the reason I believe he takes so many sacks uh, is that he his overwhelming response to pressure is to scramble. And he scrambled like nobody that we've probably ever seen that's going to be drafted this high or as high as he might be drafted. Um, He scrambled on 14% of his total dropbacks in college. That is the highest by far for a first or second round QB since 2015. Uh, If if you added other people, that's second only to Malik Willis that I could find. Um, So he scrambles a lot. And, and, you know, there's a break-even point. Obviously, Lamar Jackson is a guy who scrambles quite a bit. But even Lamar only scrambled, I believe, about 9.8% of the time at Louisville. So, I mean, I don't think it's it's a good thing, per se, to be scrambling more often than Lamar Jackson overall. I think it if you're, like, Lamar Jackson is Lamar Jackson. And if Lamar Jackson has deemed that that is the maximum amount of times a guy should scramble, I don't think you should be scrambling more often than that. Um, but even more concerning for me than that, than just the total scramble rate, is that in his career, he scrambled 9.4% of the time when he had a clean pocket. So this is times where, according to PFF, he was not pressured at all, and he still took off running. Uh, and not just running to make a throw, not just buying time with his legs to create and make a throw, which is something that Caleb Williams does. We talked about that. Uh, but literally just taking off running. 9.4% of the time. Almost one out of every time, 10 times, this guy has a clean pocket. He's just taking off running. Um, and that's the highest mark for any first or second round QB that I could find. Uh, Justin Fields, one of the closest at 8.2%. Jacoby Brissett is a guy that I found at 8.5%. Both of those guys, significant sack trouble in the NFL because they're they're just not comfortable operating uh, in tight pockets. They run themselves into trouble. Um and when he was scrambled, when he was pressured, Daniels scrambled twenty five percent of the time in his career, um, which is tied with Trey Lance for the highest out of first and second round picks, and that was a big problem for Trey Lance. One of the reasons Kyle Shanahan gave up on him so early is he got frustrated with how often Trey Lance's response to pressure was just to scramble, how how he wouldn't hang in the pocket and make a throw because there were answers down the field if he would look for them and throw, but he didn't. He got skittish and he would run. Um, and again, the best part about these two stats, uh, is that, you know, everyone, whenever you talk about Jaden Daniels, his, his fans will tell you like, oh, you can't, don't look at his career, look at his final year. This is two areas where he got worse (laughs) in his fifth year. He scrambled more often this year than he did in his career. He scrambled more often under pressure this year than he did in his career. He scrambled over 30% of the time when he was pressured this year, um, so in his career, when he was pressured, so the thing about if you the pressure to sack rate and the scramble rate is if you add those two things together, what that adds up to is that when he was pressured in his career, 
Jaden Daniels only attempted a pass 50.6% of the time. If you scr- if you pressure this kid successfully, he will only even attempt a pass one out of every two times. Just half the time. And then obviously, you know, completion percentages under pressure are low to begin with. For most guys, they're in the 40%. I believe that's where Jaden was at in the in the 40% range. Um, so if you pressure this kid, you know you have a one in four chance of getting a sack. You know you have a one in four chance that he's just going to take off running. You might have a one in four chance then that he, he will complete a pass against you under pressure. That's it. That's those are pretty good odds. I think most defenses will take those odds. Um, and he's a and he's a good scrambler. He averaged about nine yards per scramble, but he's not like a historically great scrambler. I mean, Anthony Richardson last year, uh, I think, averaged like thirteen yards per scramble. Malik Willis averaged more than ten yards per scramble. So it's not like the reason he's scrambling so much more often than everybody is because he's the greatest scrambler of all time. He's not. He's good. He's not great to the extent where he would do this. So that 50.6% pressure percentage under pressure, or attempt percentage under pressure, that's the lowest that I could find for a guy who's probably going to be a first-round pick. Uh, the next closest was like Trey Lance, I believe, at 55%. Um, Justin Fields was 57.4%. Um, but like for Lamar, that number was almost 63%. There's a 13% difference between him and Jaden Daniels. That's, that's pretty freaking big. Uh, so yeah, I, I just don't think a guy who, and, and like I said, when he runs, he gets contacted and he gets contacted hard. Um, a guy that runs this often, a guy that runs this quickly from clean pockets when under pressure with that slight frame that really concerns me as to his long-term durability. I won't, uh, so I think that's a real concern, um, and the other thing is that, again, he he scrambles to scramble. He does not scramble to throw. According to Anthony Treesh of Pro Football Focus, um, you know, I referenced this statistic, I think, both in the May episode and the Williams episode. Uh, PFF tracks how often a guy attempts a pass after he's been moved off of his spot by pressure. So how often does a guy get pressured and, and step up in the pocket and then make a throw, reset his feet, throw? Or even just throw on the run after fleeing the pocket. Um, Daniels attempted just 18 of those passes all year long. So just 20% of the time that he was pressured, uh, did he reset his feet and even make a throw. That's dead last not only in this draft class of the guys that are likely to be drafted. That was literally dead last in all of FBS football this year. So he literally, this is not a guy who keeps his eyes downfield when the rush comes. He's clearly, and this is backed up in my opinion by the film, he is dropping his eyes immediately and he's looking to take off to run. Uh, and, and we have just seen that that is such a problematic way to approach uh, being a quarterback in the NFL. The pocket presence is very concerning. Um, so yeah, this is the pre- the pocket presence. That's probably, I mean, honestly, that's probably my biggest red flag even more than some of the other stuff I'm going to talk about. But like for me, that is just an unworkable level of bad pocket presence. And I feel insane when I hear people talk about how good his pocket presence is. And I think what they're actually confusing is how often LSU just gave him clean pockets. He was by far pressured the least 
out of the big three or four guys in this draft. He was pressured less often than Caleb, than Drake, than J.J. McCarthy. Um, he had a very good offensive line compared to all of those guys. I looked it up. Um, I think the highest graded in true pass sets, at least the highest graded offensive lineman for North Carolina would have been the fifth highest graded guy on LSU's offensive line. Um, I think that might also have been true for, for USC. I know both teams only had one guy that probably would have started for LSU either way. Uh, Michigan also arguably had the worst offensive line and true pass sets of the, of the four. So I think when people say, oh, Jaden Daniels has such great pocket presence, I think they're literally just looking at how many clean pockets he has. Um, and we know they have to be really fucking clean because if they get tight at all, he's obviously taking off. So I, I think that's where people need to, again, the, the whole my whole point of here is history and context and, and can you back up what you're saying with the data? And I don't think the data supports a lot of the stuff being said about Jaden Daniels right now. Um, and the next thing that I don't think the data really supports is that, you know, I keep hearing he's got the best deep ball in the class. He's the best deep passer in the class. And I would argue he's actually not that good of a deep passer um, because I think people are looking at results when it comes to deep passing and they're not looking at process. Uh, so you've heard the sparkling statistics this year. He's got 22 deep passing touchdowns. He completed 63% of his deep passes. That kind of thing doesn't actually matter, really. The results don't tell you as much as the process because Hendon Hooker, Kenny Pickett, Mac Jones, Bryce Petty, those are all guys who led their respective draft classes in deep passing touchdowns. Mac Jones, when he was at Bama, had a higher adjusted deep completion percentage than Justin Fields, than Trevor Lawrence, than all of those guys. It was at 67.2%, just a tick or two below what Daniels did this year. Mac Jones had a fantastic completion percentage on deep balls. And I had the same argument with people when Mac Jones was drafted because I would say Mac Jones doesn't have the arm strength to throw deep consistently in the NFL. And people would show me the same kind of clips that they show me with Jaden Daniels. And it's always a guy from a clean pocket, taking a snap, looking to see a wide receiver who has at least one step, maybe two ahead of his DB. And he's launching an admittedly beautiful arcing lob of a deep ball. It's a beautiful nine ball, go route, slot fade, whatever you want to, whatever route concept. But... That is not what deep passing looks like consistently in the NFL. NFL defenses are very disciplined. NFL corners are very good. You do not get a lot of... You might get one or two opportunities... Because Justin Fields throws a beautiful nine ball too. Kenny Pickett still throws a beautiful nine ball. I'll give him that. Um, when 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 there's the one or two pass plays per game where a George Pickens has clearly won and Kenny Pickett throws it, it looks pretty. Um but the problem is that in the NFL, you might have one or two plays a game where your guy clearly wins outside and and you have a clean pocket and you can just sit there, set your feet, get everything underneath it, and throw a beautiful arcing deep ball down the sideline. It just doesn't happen five, six, seven times a game like it was happen- happening for him at LSU this year. And so then what I ask is, does a guy want to have the arm strength? to really push the ball downfield, to push the ball deep when it's messy, when he when he's throwing off platform, when things are tight, when his guy hasn't clearly won. And I think for Jaden Daniels, I mean, I, I I don't think he has the arm strength to throw deep and off platform, but I don't know that we even know that because he doesn't throw off platform. I just went over the ways where if he's not in a clean pocket, 
He's not attempting a throw at all. He's running. So I don't, in the NFL, so many of the deep passes that you can think of, so many of Patrick Mahomes' deep passes are on ad-libbed plays, are on plays where he's broken the pocket and he's bought time and he has, you know, just a, a tick of a second and he's throwing it down there and it's 40 yards on a line. Um, and Jade Daniels, I don't think he has that in him. And so, you know, I was talking about this with someone and he said, you know, people got to look at the, it's not the numerator, which is the number of completions deep, it's the denominator, which is how many times did they attempt to go deep. And so what I found is if you if you take out deep passing success, if you just ignore the completion percentage, the touchdowns, etc., because those have been so misleading. Like I said, Kenny Pickett had a 94.7 deep passing grade and 17 deep passing touchdowns his last year at Pitt. He hasn't had 17 career passing touchdowns total in the NFL so far. I don't know if you added up all of his passing grades and all of the categories that you would even get to a 94.7. So that hasn't meant much for Kenny that he was an efficient deep passer his last year at Pitt. But what does tell us something is how often a guy attempts a deep pass in college. Career deep ball attempt percentage uh, seems to me at least to be pretty stable and more predictive than career deep ball results. In his career, Jaden Daniels attempted a deep pass just 13.9% of the time when he threw the ball. That is the seventh lowest for a first or second round pick or a would-be first or second round pick, including this year's guys. Uh, and, the, and the only guys in front of him are Daniel Jones, Dwayne Haskins, Bryce Young, Josh Rosen, Bo Nix, and Mac Jones. And Mac Jones and Bryce Young, both guys who had sparkling deep passing numbers at Alabama. They were fantastic deep passers at Alabama results-wise. And the reason that they were is because they're only throwing it when the protection is perfect and when their guy, when they can get their feet underneath them and when their guy has clearly won. So yeah, I mean, it looks good. The completion percentage is high because they're only taking the shot if it's a sure thing. And in the NFL, there are no sure things, not when you're passing deep. So the history, the guys that he's associated, that Jay Daniels is in the company of, all bad guy, not all bad quarterbacks, all guys that really struggled with pushing the NFL, with generating explosives in the NFL because those windows are tighter. And if you're not a risk taker, taker by nature, um, and I think Jaden Daniels is not a risk taker by nature. One of his very few very good stats uh, is that he has arguably the lowest turnover worthy play rate of any quarterback in the spreadsheet. It's tied, but I gave him the tiebreaker because he has the most dropbacks by far at like 1.6%. Um, but he also has one of the lowest big-time career, big-time throw rates at just 4.3%. Um, and that tells you that the turnover-worthy play rate's probably not because this guy is is super great at delivering the ball into tight windows and reading coverages perfectly and all. It is a guy, this is a guy that doesn't take risks. He's risk-averse. Um, and that's, that is only good to a certain point when you want to be an NFL starting quarterback. Um, so he didn't attempt it. He only attempted a deep pass about 13.9% of the time. He attempted an intermediate pass 21.1% of the time, which was the 12th lowest. Um, so if you add that together in his career, only 35% of his career pass attempts went more than 10 yards in the air. In terms of first and second round picks or would be ones, um, that's better only than Daniel Jones, Christian Hackenberg, Dwayne Haskins, Bo Nix, Will Levis, and it's just ahead of Kenny Pickett, Josh Rosen, Mac Jones, Paxton Lynch. Now, full disclosure, 
Patrick Mahomes was just behind uh, Jaden Daniels in this specific category too. Um, but I, I, I do think that was more of a function of Texas Tech's offense. They didn't really utilize the intermediate part of the field. Out. It was a lot of quick game screens and then deep balls. So that Patrick Mahomes isn't really... So yes, if you want to find an outlier and you want to say, well, Patrick Holmes is on one of these lists with Jaden Daniels. I get it. Go for it. LSU fans have been doing it to me for days. Um, we're just Jaden Daniels fans. But I think it's important to note that Patrick Holmes is not on any of the other lists in terms of sacks, scrambles, deep balls, etc. It's literally just, you know, Patrick Holmes did not attempt a lot of intermediate passes at Tech. And I think that's more of a Cliff Kingsbury thing than anything. But... Most of the names, 99% of the names associated with with Jaden Daniels in these passing categories, not very good quarterbacks. Very conservative, more game manager types. I have concerns about his, as a passer, his ceiling, especially when he takes too many sacks, which really lowers his floor. Um, it's a difficult thing to be Justin Fields and take a lot of sacks and avoid the middle of the field. Um, and scramble a lot. All things that Jaden Daniels and Justin Fields have in common. But Justin Fields has a great deep ball. Justin Fields does generate a lot of explosive passes. It's what's made him, while a bottom, you know, while a below average starter, but it's why he is a starter. You know, he's, he makes up for it just enough with some explosive passing plays to keep him on the field. Um, and the other thing is, you know, the other comp will... People love to get into, you know, well, Joe Burrow, a lot of these things apply to Joe Burrow. He was a late breakout guy. He played with two great wide receivers. That's not his fault. He uh, throws short a lot, etc. He doesn't like to throw middle of the field that much. And that's true. There's some truth to all of those things. Um, but so I want to, well, I want to make the Burrow comparison and I'll go into more on why I don't like that either. But Burrow to me, is not a late breakout guy in the sense that a lot of these guys were because Burrow was mostly just a function of Ohio State route not really knowing what they had. Burrow didn't get the chance to start until late in his career. Um, He basically had not even one full season as a starter at LSU before his breakout campaign. He barely played at Ohio State. He had a grand total of 485 dropbacks in his career before that last season at LSU. Jaden Daniels had over 1,400 career dropbacks before this year. Even, he would have been, I think, top 10 on the spreadsheet in career dropbacks, even without this last season at LSU. He had all of the experience, all of the reps, all of the opportunities to break out before this year that a guy could ever need, and he didn't do it. Joe Burrow had one year, he was pretty good, and then he in his second year, he went off like a rocket launcher. That is a much more normal career path. If Joe Burrow did that as a freshman and a sophomore, nobody would have ever questioned him being the first overall pick. If Jaden Daniels had done the stuff that he's done as a freshman and then did this in year two, I would have a lot fewer questions about him. I would still have questions about the sacks, the pressure, but I would have fewer questions about the late breakout stuff for sure. So Jaden Daniels is a guy who's played a lot before this breakout year, and Joe Burrow was not. Um, And it's not exactly scientific, but I tried to, you know, my gut was that, you know, this guy that always breaks out late, I don't think that a guy ever works out. So I wanted to confirm that. And I went through kind of Google search history. I archived for various periods. And I went to look before each college season. I tried to go back to 2011 because that was the start of the rookie wage scale. And it makes a nice era marker. I tried to look up guys that before their final college season were not considered 
first round picks by anybody that I could find and who had over 500 career dropbacks. So guys who were experienced, but then broke out, not guys like Cam Newton was a one-year wonder, but that's because he didn't get a chance to play. He was in Juco. He, there was a lot going on there. Um, I didn't, didn't, didn't even include Mitch Trubisky in this because Mitch didn't get a chance to play before that final year. Um, those guys are more like Burrow in my mind, guys who get, finally got a chance to show what they could do and showed it. These are guys that had had a chance to show what they could do, weren't very impressive, and then suddenly were seemingly out of nowhere. And so the guys that I found who didn't appear on any preseason lists as potential first-round picks who then broke out despite having considerable experience for the final season, I found Kenny Pickett, I found Zach Wilson, I found Daniel Jones, I found Paxton Lynch, I found Blake Bortles, I found EJ Manuel, I found Brandon Whedon, I found Christian Ponder. All of these were guys who were not considered, who had played enough. They, they had at least 500 snaps before that last year. They'd played enough to show what they what they had. They hadn't done it and then had a better final year and then got drafted based off of that. That's a bad list. These guys, it, it there's usually a reason these guys were not considered first-round picks entering the season they put up some deceptive tape either because they played with a good talent or or because they just were in a weak draft class, etc. But these guys just don't seem to work out very much. Usually a guy shows you pretty on in his college career who he actually is. Um, so yeah, if a guy has an opportunity to play, he takes this long to adapt and excel at the NCAA level. You know, I think the way people talk about him is like, oh, he just needed to level up. You know, he needed to to, to max out his experience points. And now he's leveled up and he's going to go to the NFL and we're only going to get the good version of him. But I don't think that's what that actually happens. I think it, it proves that the guy is a slow learner and he takes a while to adapt to each level he's at. Um, and I think Kenny Pickett is a great example that proves that, you know, the argument for drafting Kenny Pickett that we heard over and over and over was that he was pro-ready. He had so much experience. He was pro-ready. Might not have the best tools, but he's ready to play right now. And, and on a rookie contract, that's a huge advantage. And then through two years of his NFL career where he's looked absolutely lost, they've now pivoted. We're here that, oh, you know, he's a, what do you expect, greatness from a guy in his first two seasons, blah, blah, blah. Like this, he's just a kid. So, you know, they're going to sell themselves on this pro-ready nonsense. And then when it turns out he's not pro-ready, when it turns out he's actually a guy who who struggles to adjust at each level, I I, I think you'll see the narrative change again. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll probably, this time next year, but we'll be hearing about how, you know, it's too early to give up on Jay Danos. He was just so raw. He's got so many tools, but he was just so raw. I guarantee you that's probably where we're at a year from now. Um, and then, yeah, just the last thing, just to, to tackle the Burrow comp, in general, because yes, the the breakout thing, and I already talked about how they're they're different in terms of experience and, and their breakout, um, but they are similar. I will say this: both of them, Burrow didn't like to target the middle of the field very. He and Daniels were at the same percentage in terms of attempts to the middle of the field. Burrow has a high pressure to sack rate, and again, it's not that he fixed that in the NFL. Joe Burrow takes too many sacks; it's that he makes up for it in, in other ways. And Joe Burrow threw short a lot. Uh, I think he was only at like 37 or 38% of his passes over 10 air yards. So not that much higher than Daniels. Um, but the thing is that Joe Burrow's superpower, the way he makes up for it is that he is like a god at running NFL quick game. Uh, he ran, and you look at the quick game concepts that he ran at LSU, you will see slants, you will see drags, you will see all these quick hitters that go into traffic that require anticipation, bop, 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 balls out. 
And he was so accurate, and he had so much touch, and he allowed so much yards after the catch on that. Um, he has basically the highest completion percentage on zero to nine yard throws of any of the first or second round guys at 82.6%. Um, technically, Trey Lance was number one in that category, but Burrow had four times as many throws as Trey Lance because the sample size for Trey Lance was like 30 passes, so I don't count Trey Lance there. But Burrow attempted 250, at least 250 out of their three QBs total in this time who have attempted at least 250 short passes like that and have hit on 80% of them. One of them is Caleb Williams, so that's cool. Uh, and the average completion percentage for all these guys on this kind of throw was 75.1%. So Burrow was almost 10%, 8% more accurate than an average first or second round pick at throwing short passes. Uh, his PFF career grade on those throws was 79.1, which was eighth best. It's pretty hard to get a really high grade on short throws because they are short throws, but I mean, if anybody did, it was him. So his superpower was always that he was quicker, more decisive, better pre-snap through with better touch, accuracy, anticipation in the quick game than just about anybody else. So if you're going to throw short a lot, you have to be really good at it. If you're not generating explosives down the field, you have to be extremely efficient in quick game, and Joe Burrow was. Jaden Daniels wasn't. Uh, he had below average accuracy on short passes. He was at 74.8%, so below the average of 75.1. Uh, and so out of 28 guys who threw at least 250 quick passes, that was, I think, 18th out of 28 first and second round guys, so not even quite middle of the pack, a little bit below average. Um, his PFF grade on those throws was 30th out of the 41 first or second round guys that I've looked at. Um, and 22nd out of those 28 guys that I just mentioned. So below average in terms of grade, too. Um, the vast majority of his quick game throws, if you watch the tape, he's not throwing a lot of slants. He's not throwing a lot of... They run a lot of stick. He's throwing a lot of, of, of curls and stop routes to guys who are stopped, turned, facing him. He can look at them. There's not a lot of anticipation. He throws a lot of flats. He throws a lot of checkdowns into the flats. So these are... He's spamming these throws. It's boosting his completion percentage, but none of them are are flashing a lot of real quick game talent, in my opinion. Um, and that's not, I don't think, going to translate to being a, just an NFL quick game expert. Uh, so, you know, if you look at his completion percentage and his grade, which was, so his career grade was 68.6. His completion percentage was 74%. His accuracy and his grade more resemble Kenny Pickett, who was at 72.8% and 74 grade or a Kyle Trask, who was 75% with a 68.7 grade, than Joe Burrow, who, like I said, was 82.6 and 79.1. He is not Joe Burrow when it comes to quick passing. Um, and then Burrow did... He didn't really throw middle of the field. Like I said, he didn't throw... He threw it about as often as as Daniels did. Um, but his completion percentage when he did target the middle of the field was 69%, which is 10% higher than Daniels. And he had the fifth highest grade of any quarterback at 93.3 on throws like that. Daniels was 87.9, which was 20th. So if you're not targeting the middle of the field a lot, you need to be very efficient when you do target it. And Burrow was. He was insanely accurate, insanely good grade in that area. Daniels just average or worse in that area. Um, and Burrow had a higher career deep ball percentage, or deep ball grade and deep ball completion percentage. He completed 49% of his career deep passes. And he had a 94.9 career grade on deep passes. Jaden was at 45.3 and 89.6. And Burrow went higher, went deep more, considerably more often 
than Daniel's went deep. It was 15.8% versus 13.9%. So I still say, even though there's some similarities in terms of basically their heat map as, as to like when they throw and where they throw, in every way, Burrow was better, more accurate, more efficient. So, you know, Burrow and Daniels, they both relied on the underneath throws for the majority of their pass steps, but Burrow was more accurate, more efficient. Um, and again, his weak points are still his weak points. He does struggle badly with sacks. And I think, in my opinion, that's a big part of why he's ended half of his NFL seasons on IR. Um, and he's also finished, you know, for as great as Joe Burrow's reputation is, and I do think he's a very good quarterback, uh, in terms of like yards per attempt, he's been below average or average at best in just three of the four seasons. He had that great year that ended with him in the Super Bowl. The other years, he's he's kind of struggled to generate explosives. It was a big problem for the Bengals offense this year before he got hurt. It was a big problem for the Bengals offense in the first half of last year before they figured some things out in the second half. Um, so there have been times when even Joe Burrow has struggled to really generate explosives. Um, and so I think that, you know, for Daniels, who isn't as efficient as Burrow anyways, I think that doesn't really... I don't know that even if you like that Burrow comp that much, that for him it's the best comp. So I, I don't think he's Lamar Jackson. I don't think he's Joe Burrow. I do think there's a lot of similarities to Justin Fields, except not as good of a deep passer. So I don't even know what that looks like. I think there are similarities to Marcus Mariota in that regard. Um, so if you look, if you ask me, it just based on what I've seen on tape, and then I think the numbers back this up to me, Jade Tatos is very much a one or two read guy. If he's got a clean pocket, he'll do it. I do think he distributes the ball pretty well when he gets what he's looking for and when the pocket is clean. Um, but I, I, I think, you know, when things get messy for him at all, his instinct is to just take off and go. He takes bad sacks. He takes big hits. Um, and I think the deep passing success this year which I think was mostly just a result of having two guys who are probably going to go, one of them is definitely going to go maybe top five, top 10. Uh, the other might go top 15, top 20. Two first-round picks at wide receiver um, who got consistently wide open enough that he felt comfortable throwing it. Um, but I think the, the deep passing success this year hides a career that was mostly below average in terms of deep ball accuracy, mostly below average in terms of big-time throw rate. Overall, a very conservative average depth of target overall very low big time throw rate overall just not very low career percentage of attempts over 10 yards not an aggressive quarterback more of a game manager profile i was actually looking for nfl comps in terms of the kinds of throws he he's attempted in his career and stuff he's he actually reminds me a little bit more of alex smith than he does anybody else because alex was also a game manager who had a little bit of mobility Took more sacks, though, than you would expect, than you probably remember Alex Smith taking. He, that was kind of a weak spot for him, and just like it is for Jaden Daniels. So I think, um, I do think the the mobility, and I think the fact that he probably won't commit many turnovers might give him a floor where he's a, a starter, a mid-tier starter, but I have a really hard time seeing a lot of upside with this guy. Uh, I think this is maybe one of the furthest apart. If... If it turns out that the media is right and NFL teams really are as high on this guy as they keep saying, and I and I, like I said, I, I I'm still skeptical of that. Might be one of the farthest I've ever been from the consensus then on a guy, and I'm okay with that. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I feel pretty confident that I'm not wrong. Um, but yeah, that's that's Jaden Daniels. 
That is why I'm skeptical of that guy. I hope you managed to listen to an entire hour of just me. I miss Travis, too. He definitely balances me out really well. Um, he is the yin to my yang. Um, but, yeah, I hope you guys listened. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope my argument was convincing. If you're an LSU fan and you want to keep yelling at me on Twitter, that's fine. I have a fetish for punishment. I don't care. Go ahead. Keep yelling at me. Um, but yeah, next week, I think we're probably going to take a, a, a brief break from breaking down the quarterbacks in this draft. Going to talk about uh, combine results and, and the news surrounding the Bears and Caleb Williams and what are they going to do with the number one pick. And if there is a Justin Fields trade market and if Justin Fields get traded, we'll try to cover all that next week um, before we, we dive back into the rest of the quarterbacks in this draft class. But hopefully you tuned in. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Hopefully, you know, you, you feel that I, even if I'm being harsh on Jaden Daniels, I, I think I'm being fair. I think I've really laid out my argument, um, backing up every point with data. And I've tried to be, to, to break down and explain that data and the context behind it. Um, but yeah, uh, we'll see you next week. Hopefully it will actually be we instead of just me. But uh, yeah, that'll be good. Now you know I'm leaving Chicago And people I show do hate to go Now you know I'm leaving 